This podcast is brought to you in part by Specialties. Are you in a band that wants merch, but you're not sure where to go? Are you looking for great quality and affordable pricing? Do you have a design that you'd like to put on a koozie for your favorite consumable beverage? How about office swag for your job or giveaway items for your events? Okay, you get the point. Look no further than special tees for all of your heart's printing desires. This is not my magnum opus listeners can act now and get 10% off your first order if you tell them could be better sent you. Visit their website at www.special-tees.com or use the link in the show notes to get the conversation started. You can even call ahead and visit their showroom to see the types of products they offer. Again, telling them could be better sent you via email, phone call, or carrier pigeon will get you that 10% off your first order. That's special-tees.com. Special Tees. If you haven't worked with them, they want to work with you. This is Not My Magnum Opus is proud to be a part of the Could Be Better podcast network. We're passionate about creating and using these platforms to dive into topics such as exploring lo-fi, impulsive, small, and otherwise overlooked artworks and creative practices, what happened in the world this week and how to laugh through or at it, and hearing stories from musicians from all walks of life. Check out these podcasts, Could Be Better, This Is Not My Magnum Opus, and The Weekly with Kiki, wherever you listen to podcasts. You can visit couldbebettermeh.com slash podcasts in the show notes to see the current shows on the Could Be Better podcast network. Come join us as we discover more about ourselves, the community around us, and maybe even something worth sharing. Or not. Now, here's our show. Hello, and welcome to This Is Not My Magnum Opus, a podcast about small and lo-fi artworks, creative practice, and what it means to be an artist. I'm your host, Nicole Ringel, and I'm here with my partner and producer, Spencer Newcomb. Hi, Nicole. Hey, Spencer. How you doing? I'm doing pretty well. Nice. So I know who we're talking to uh, this week, and I'm excited about it, but uh, our listeners don't yet. Yes. So... Who are we talking to this week? So this week, uh, actually this week, I talked to Davey Haynes. Mm -hmm. They're a Frederick-based musician, multi-hyphenate, multi-instrument kind of (laughs) musician um, who also plays in quite a few different bands. This is actually kind of exciting. It's been a really fast turnaround between the interview and when we're We're airing it, uh, which is fun because they actually have a lot kind of around the corner yeah. because um, there's a new project that they're working on mm-hmm. that's going to have a show here pretty soon. And so, yeah, it was exciting to talk to them. Yeah, curious if you have any thoughts like coming oh, into yeah. it. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah, because I know you were excited about this one. Yes, I was. Uh, yeah, we had talked a bit about like who we wanted to have on this first season and Davy's name was certainly uh, in the mix from the beginning just because, um, yeah, I think that like the, the music scene in Frederick is what we've both kind of been keyed in on and certainly me with like playing in the scene we had both just seen Davey at lots mm-hmm. of shows the past few years uh even before getting to know them and it's like they're they're like almost always here yes it's like, who is that yeah um uh and always kind of like stylish I think that Davey <laughs> dress is cool um but uh yeah and then let's see in the past year uh, I was able to run sound for a band that they were in called Dumb Valley or Dumb Valleys. Dumb Valley. Mm-hmm. Um, where they played bass. Mm-hmm. And that was like my, I guess that was my first experience like getting to know them 
are like interacting. Uh, and like, if you've ever ran sound for whoever's listening, um, sometimes those relationships can be tense because like we're collaborating in the moment about like, I as a sound person want you as the musician to know that you're cared for. Um, but also there are like parameters in place in any venue Mm -hmm. about like, I can't give you, like, I might not be able to give you everything that you need. Mm -hmm. Um, but I want you to know that like, I super care about what you're doing um, and how you want to sound and how and, you want to sound yeah, yeah I, because like I, I mean i'm the same i'm the same way like in me playing music i want to feel like whoever's running sound understands potentially what like what we're going for um mm-hmm. and like what i need to hear back in the monitors anyways that's way in the weeds but everybody in dumb valley was so nice mm-hmm. uh like crazily nice very sweet <laughs> um yeah like davy included and davy's bass tone for that show was phenomenal um mm-hmm. they have this sun cab this is again in the weeds um but it's a, a beautiful bass cabinet uh an amp that sounds so so good mm-hmm. um anyways first great experience like running sound for them and then a few months later they play davy played an acoustic set at the frederick art center that uh dylan and i were running sound for that was like a totally different vibe. And they had played bass in Dumb Valley, uh, played an acoustic set yeah. at FAC to open a show. And it was beautiful. It was stunningly beautiful. It was so wonderful. It had this like like warm singer-songwriter, like Neil Young sort of, um, yeah, definitely like 60s folk. And mm-hmm. like full disclosure, I always feel self-conscious about how <laughs> I describe music because <laughs> I'm not a musician, although I am, you know, I love music. Right, but, right, right. Um, trained as a visual artist, so take what I have to say with a grain <laughs> of salt. I'm glad you're here. Um, <laughs> I mean, I don't know anything. Um, but yeah, that was a beautiful, beautiful set. Like they... They brought a memory man delay pedal that they ran their vocals through, uh, which made such a cool effect Mm -hmm. uh, with the acoustic guitar. Yeah, a beautiful way to open up a show. Mm -hmm. And then, what, a few months later... They played at NOLA. They played at NOLA. Mm -hmm. And that was, again, a different, like, sounding set. That was so funny. When I went to that show, I was like, oh, like, I don't have to bring earplugs. Like, it's Mm -hmm. a small venue. But, like, oh, I'm so excited to hear this kind of Neil Young, warm, like, singer-songwriter, like, walk into the kind of bar that Bob Dylan would have played in (laughs) kind of set. And it was, like, so grungy Mm -hmm. and, like, not at all what I expected. But I loved it. Yeah. It was so good. Yeah, it was, uh, like, Davey played solo but played uh with an electric guitar electric amp on stage and again had immaculate tone mm-hmm. uh yeah it, it sounded pristine in that room davy has a lovely singing voice uh so that was a great experience but like totally different than the first two times we had seen him play um and then what was the Oh, at Old Mother, which mm-hmm. is what we're going to, like, what you guys talked about mm-hmm. um, as the Not Magnum Opus was the show at Old Mother, which was, again, a phenomenal set. Uh, mm-hmm. And the way that it came about, I want, you know, listeners yeah, to he- hear... Yeah, steal Davy's thunder Exactly. I, I want to hear Davy explain it. But how that came to be was super interesting and, like, scary and exciting. Yeah. Um, but they blew it away. Like, I was, mm-hmm. I, I got the run sound for that one. And uh, we talk a little bit in the interview about like 
just kind of the magic of being in community all experiencing the same thing mm-hmm. when the thing is able to kind of like take hold in the social fabric to where like everybody is kind of like um dazzled mm-hmm. and that set even though it was not what folks were expecting because right. it was a little last minute which davy will explain mm-hmm. they did that yes they, they did they captured the attention yeah. even though literally no one in the room knew what was going to happen <laughs> before they started to play yeah. or what they would sound like. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, they really took hold and um, they were able to like kind of transcend. Yeah. What I appreciate about Davey is that we've seen them value the local music scene and just coming to things yeah, uh, and thoroughly enjoying, you know, whatever is happening, like whatever music is happening. Uh, and then also like they have, a pretty rigorous practice like you guys get into mm-hmm. um a pretty rigorous artistic practice in how they approach music that is fascinating to me um mm-hmm. and like super respectable and the care that they take in thinking about uh you know the flow of a set like which which songs to pick mm-hmm. um and the room and how like people in the room might accept it. Like they they have a critical eye or a critical ear mm-hmm. uh, specifically for like that aspect of performance mm-hmm. that uh, I swear, like we've seen, like I said, we've seen them play four times and each time has been like spectacularly moving. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, yeah, I super appreciate like that, that attention that they put into every, every moment. For sure. And I think, you know, it's interesting when we're in our last two episodes of this first season of 12. Mm-hmm. And don't worry if you love listening to our <laughs> podcast. If you've been listening avidly every week, uh, we'll be back. We're locked in for a second season. Mm-hmm. So you'll hear from us again um, more on that very soon. But uh, we're in our last two episodes. Next week, I won't give away who the guest is, but they are another musician. And uh, I thought it was interesting. There's this uh, idea that popped up across both conversations, Mm -hmm. which is what we just talked about of like kind of capturing attention and kind of like piercing through the normalcy of like, oh, I'm at another show, another local show with another local band, Mm -hmm. like la-di-da, to really cut through and like make a memorable shared experience for everyone in the room. Mm -hmm. And I think it's... Interesting to think about that because when I think about a musician, you know, practicing and kind of like creating a sound, Mm -hmm. I think about that kind of like insular musician in a studio or in a garage kind of practicing and that being a kind of, you know, dedicated practice, which totally exists. Mm -hmm. But then this extra step of bringing that into the world, there is this other dynamic of like, how do you create a collective moment? And there are so many nuanced decisions that go into that. Mm-hmm. And it was really uh, quite lovely to hear different takes on different kind of tools in the toolbox for facilitating that sort of collective experience. And even Flo Petit, who we talked about yeah. or talked to earlier that's in true. the season, like that's something that they are totally thoughtful about as well. Um, And so that's been a fun part of interviewing musicians for me. Yeah. Like the depth to which folks think about that. For sure. Because you're right. Like I think for uh, musicians, it is like there's two avenues of connection. And like one is like that long-term 
that long-term presence of like recording music uh, where like someone can have it with them whenever they want it. And like, it can kind of hit whenever, but then there's also, you know, performing it live where mm-hmm. like people are coming into the room in, you know, whatever state they are for that day, mm-hmm. um, you know, ready to listen to music, but also like, you know, it's a collective experience. It's not just personal with your headphones in, mm-hmm. um, listening to something that's pre-recorded. It's, you know, a live version. And so, yeah, there are, I guess, different strategies for like, how do I make this hit in a recording versus how do I make this hit live mm-hmm. um, and different things to pay attention to. So like, yeah, being able to talk to musicians about those. There's also like some sort of lovely connection between thinking so intentionally about facilitating that mm-hmm. and also being a dedicated, I'm going to show up for the musicians yeah. in my community mm-hmm. kind of person. So kind of like playing both sides mm-hmm. of that coin of being the person in our kind of small creative community here in Frederick to like really demonstrate, you know, I'm here for the folks yeah. making here. Um, and then also I'm here for the folks who are listening here. Yeah. It's like a, a very beautiful, it is. like dual practice to yeah, hold. For sure. So before we get into this interview, we are actually going to play one of the songs from that show at Old Mother that Davey is going to be talking about. And it's super cool that we get to be able to do this because... Yes, uh, our friend and my bandmate Dylan records the shows at Old Mother um, and uh, we're calling them bootlegs. There could be better bootlegs. So And it's a pretty elaborate system. You got it worked out. They sound really good. Yeah, for like a, you know, we're recording a live show. Um, or, or at, a brewery at a brewery that was never even designed to be a right, venue, right. but looks like one now and looks awesome. Yeah. But yeah, so Dylan uh, recorded this night. The rest of this uh, of this set should be available now, or if not now, soon on the Could Be Better YouTube page. It's where, the, where we're uploading them. Um, but yeah, this is the final song of that set that Davey played at Old Mother. Um, after this, we'll get right into the interview. Mm-hmm. Um, just a couple of notes. Uh, we were joined by two extra guests. <laughs> <laughs> um, our pets, Mo and Lewin, you can hear both of them. Our cat is fine. He's just old <laughs> and grumpy and he meows a lot. <laughs> we like meows. to say he yells. He yells. He, um, yeah. <laughs> so you'll hear him in the background. Yep. Have no fear. He's fine. He's, he's okay. <laughs> he's doing okay. He's just 12 and angry. Yep. anyways uh yeah let's listen to this song and then let's listen to this interview Hey, 
Hello, Davey. Hi. Thank you so much for joining us here uh, tonight. Talk about uh, your creative practice, musicianship. Um, Spencer and I have been talking about having you on the show for a minute, so it's really um, exciting to kind of sit down and start a conversation. I'm really excited to be here. Thanks so much for having me, and it's great to be here uh, with you and Mo. Um, and Kitty, whose name I don't know. <laughs> yes, Lewin, we do have two pets with us here today. So if you hear them in the background, um, we are pleased that they're with us. <laughs> in fact, Mo is like right in the center of your lap, like currently. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, nice and cozy here. Uh, cool. So usually how we like to start these conversations is just kind of digging into your creative origins and the kind of question I like to center that on is uh, when was the first time you felt like you were or wanted to become an artist? I think um, I wanted to become an artist kind of around the time I like graduated high school is when I really started like writing songs in like an organized manner or like a a way that was like, oh yeah, writing songs is what I do. Mm. Um, was there like a instrument that you were focusing on at the time as you were writing? Um, yeah, guitar. Guitar was new for me. I started on piano, mm. but then when I switched to guitar, I was like, this is just a a little writing machine, you know? Mm. Like this is the thing that mm-hmm. you can just pick up and it's um, easy to cart around and can kind of always be with you. Mm. I've heard people say that um, like piano has a kind of like discipline to it that is both empowering because it's such a great kind of bedrock for understanding music, but also like the kind of um, teaching methods around piano are like a little bit different than for guitar, other instruments. So was there kind of like switch for you in that that kind of informed your development? Yeah, I think piano is like a very foundational instrument. Um, And so when I came to guitar, it was very easy to just be like, well, I know all the notes and a fret is just a a half step. And and I still kind of think of like the guitar is just a keyboard, not in the keyboard shape. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Um, So that kind of helps to just be able to pick up songs quickly and... Mm -hmm. um, so, like, what were your influences at the time where it kind of, like, clicked for you, where you kind of, like, tapped into the writing machine of playing guitar? Yeah, so I was really, and I was sort of um, discovering a lot of, like, indie rock. Um, I really got into bands that had really massive discographies, like mm. Guided by Voices or The Mountain Goats. Um, and I don't know. I, I just like loved, I also really love like short songs. Mm. And so just the idea that you could write a bunch of short songs and keep doing that and mm. keep putting them on records and have like, you know, like 20 songs on an album and stuff like that was really cool to me. Mm. Is um, it kind of like the uh, mystique of being like prolific in some way, like having like so many things like to draw from being the kind of draw there? Yeah, I think so. Just having like this big body of work that you could, um, that can like mold and change with you, I guess. Mm -hmm. Um, and that you could 
keep yourself sort of like if if you have like building up a a big collection of songs as your goal that you kind of there's no end to that you can just Mm -hmm. keep going yeah yeah um i imagine like maybe each song feels like less high stakes as well if you're making so many like you can have like a joke one-off song or like a try on the sound and see how you like it sort of song mixed in so it kind of um yeah it's like limitless in that way oh totally and there's not a lot of pressure if one isn't great you can just move on yeah I love that because that's kind of like the idea um behind the podcast right that there's like something about making what you're making low stakes in your mind or in the material, right? If you're making something cheap, it doesn't have to be great. It can just be what it is. (laughs) Um, And so like that can kind of like open up creative practice and like open up like the kind of barriers that can keep you from, you know, exploring different avenues that your creativity can take. Yeah, totally. Yeah, I love, I love the idea of like, um, just keeping to sort of churn and it's mm-hmm. like almost like an assembly line type of thing like I'm just putting this thing together and moving it on mm. um yeah I really is that, that how you um like approached songwriting like early on or is that something that like evolved over time that has been like a through line yeah I was very into um putting out like albums on Bandcamp and so I there was a couple years um, where I put out probably like five or ten like albums a year and just Whoa. kept them going. Yeah, I recorded into my like uh, laptop microphone, <laughs> um, and it was just a really simple way to learn how to write songs. I think. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Wow, that's so much work. <laughs> um, like, what were you doing at the time? Like, what was your like creative discipline like in that era because making music making art is so time consuming and I think a lot of like the conversation that I have with fellow artists all the time is like how do you even do it (laughs) you know um because like life is demanding relationships are demanding like work is demanding and then to have a kind of like rigorous creative life on top of that is both like enriching and also extremely challenging yeah, at the time where I like first started writing and like recording and putting out stuff, I was in college and working at a big box re- retailer. Um mm-hmm. and so I was up very late um cuz I usually got off at like 11 or 12. So I just kind of come home and that's when I would write like mm-hmm. cuz you kind of can't at least I can't like if I'm out late, it I generally stay up even later because Mm. like just calming down or something like that so Mm -hmm. I wrote like that there were times where I would like write songs in that evening and record them it'd be like five or ten or something like that it's Mm -hmm. and the you know they were small but it's easy Mm -hmm. to do for sure um, when you're writing small songs and those were all songs that you were kind of writing independently but you've also played in a few different bands um so can you kind of I feel like that might be a landmark in like kind of growth as a musician. So I wonder if you could kind of like guide us through like when that kind of transition happened between like kind of discovering being able to write songs kind of 
iteratively in a guitar and then kind of like branching out into collaborating with other folks. Yeah. Um, so while I was kind of doing that, I was playing in bands and writing songs for those bands too. Mm. Um, just college bands. I was in a band in, um, I went to school in Tennessee um, in Chattanooga. So I was in a band called Cautious Beverly there. Um, that was sort of the first time I'd been in a band that was like, um, let's, yeah, let's practice. Let's go on, let's try to book shows. Let's go on tour, mm -hmm. stuff like that. And my own solo project was kind of going the whole time. And then I moved up here and kept that project going, just adding different people. And, mm -hmm. um, and then, and now I'm in, I think now I'm in more bands than I've ever been like simultaneously, which mm. is really, really cool. Mm. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. I think maybe that's a good transition into talking about your not magnum opus project that you wanted to talk about today, which is a set that you played recently. Um, do you want to kind of introduce us to it, how it came to be and kind of some of the background there? Sure. Um, it was a kind of a wild story. Uh, my friend, Zach Willis um, was coming from California. He he moved out there last year, but he had some songs he recorded um, and put out an album uh, called Humidity Glow, and it's really great. And we were going to do... Um, so the members of Dumb Valley, Evan, Joni, and myself, were all going to be Zach's band, essentially, for this show. Some illnesses happened. So we'd, mm. we'd been rehearsing the songs through January... Um, Zach came into town, we rehearsed twice, and then um, the morning of the show, we got the news that COVID had hit. Oh, no. Um, and so, I, Zach asked me if I would play a solo set, and I was, I said yes, and then, like, five minutes later, Joni texts me, what are you playing? Oh. And I was like, yes, <laughs> nice. let's both do this. Um, mm -hmm. And so they came over, we rehearsed for a couple hours, and then we played the show. Wow. That's such a wild turnaround. But I guess it might have helped that you both play in Dumb Valley together. So mm -hmm. there's like that level of like familiarity, at least, between like your workflows and kind of playing together. Um, I guess like the songs that you played and like the kind of set that you had ready to go, was that something that you had played before for an audience? Um, no, there were some songs in there that I'd played before. Um, I think there was one song I'd played before, but the rest were new. Wow. New to everyone at old mother that night. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, like, I guess, like walk me through like like what was that sensation like for you because I could imagine it could be like some level of nerve-wracking to like get the news like you're prepared for the set that you think you're gonna play and then suddenly it's something completely different that is kind of like all on you <laughs> and also Joni to kind of pull together so um yeah could you like walk us through kind of like what that felt like and resonated like for you yeah, it was very, um, I was relieved to have Joni there because mm. they are not only a great musician, but just a like great presence to have on a project. Mm. Um, but 
the way that I sort of prepare for solo shows or the probability of solo shows is just to have a lot of material hanging around. Mm. Um, and then uh, leading up to the show, I'll just pick what I want to play. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was easy to do that. It was easy to say, once I knew there were gonna, there was going to be drums involved, I was mm-hmm. like, oh, okay, I can play some stuff that I've been wanting to play for a while, nice. um, but just didn't feel like it would translate without um without more of a full band type of thing mm-hmm. so yeah it was it was easy to put the set together and it was easy to practice and rehearse with Joni because we've been rehearsing for uh, you know a yeah, couple yeah. years now so yeah nice I guess like your sensation of playing those songs like being able to bring them to a more like complete fruition of like being able to kind of like join forces with Joni to like evolve the sound in that way do you feel like that kind of um moved a creative vision in some direction like moved a needle or like drew your attention to like a different um avenue that like your musicianship could follow in the future oh definitely I I um I'm always writing and so I've kind of got this huge the bag keeps getting heavier. Yeah, yeah. At this point. Um and so it was very nice to like let some songs breathe and to feel like I'd be ready if something came along or like ready mm-hmm. to do the thing whenever I wanted to do it. Mm-hmm. Um yeah, it felt it felt really really good. Nice. Yeah, I'm interested in your kind of, um, yeah, playing in multiple different bands. You mentioned that you play in more bands now than you ever have before. Like, what's the impetus there? Like, why so many bands? And like, um, how is that kind of fulfilling to who you are as a musician? Yeah, I think I'd always thought of myself as like a, a songwriter and I didn't, instruments were just a vehicle for that like Mm -hmm. it was like this is a tool you use to write Mm. um but when evan asked me to play bass in dumb valley it was a really cool opportunity because i'd never been that role in a band i'd never Mm. been the person who wasn't like originating the songs and so it was very nice to to transition into practicing as and like approaching the songs as a musician and not as a writer. Um, And it's increased my ability to play um, Mm. and like my skill just from Mm -hmm. rehearsing every week with Dumb Valley and now rehearsing a lot with Good Time Jordy. Mm -hmm. Like just being in the practice is really, really cool Mm -hmm. to me. And there's like a, um, I think, I mean, I'm a visual artist, so that's like where my background is, but I imagine through like different conversations with musicians, there's like a tension between the kind of like drafting phase of songwriting versus the iteration phase of songwriting. So I can imagine that like actually taking yourself out of the role of songwriting to be like, actually you just have to be like kind of in the playing and listening phase of like not being the originator of the song would kind of put you more in that like iteration mindset that could like then just feed back into the kind of like holistic like making 
of a song. Yeah, definitely. It's such a an interesting role to take. And I also, this is my first time like in Dumb Valley, like really playing bass. I don't, I've always like had mm. basses around. Um, but yeah, just putting in the time and practice and approaching the songs as a member of the rhythm section is very different. Yeah, um, I bet. So it's very cool. Cool. I guess um, I'm interested in kind of like this prolific songwriting, um, that being kind of central to your practice. Like, what does your workflow look like? Like, how does that happen? Like, can you kind of like walk us through, like, what's your process? Yeah, you mentioned the drafting phase. Drafting is where most things live forever. Mm -hmm. Um, So I, it didn't used to be this way. I used to like write a full set of lyrics generally, like as um, once I had a melody or something like that or a chord progression, it was like, all right, well, let's work on this song and finish it up and demo it or something like that. But now, um, now I just let things sit forever and like stew on them, uh, and play the same, uh, four lines of a song over and over again. Mm. Um, when did that switch happen? Like, was that fairly recently or was there a specific era that that kind of like emerged in? I think it happened recently because um, I am a lot uh, like my skill in playing instruments through practicing a bunch and being in bands has gotten a lot more nuanced. Mm. And so I hear a lot more in my head than I used to be able to. Mm -hmm. And so I feel like um, as I'm writing a song, I hear like, five or six different possibilities or like ways that it could go and it's just finding whatever's the right one and sometimes that takes me a really really long time mm. has there been like recycling like material that you've written like years and years ago like what's the sensation of that I see you nodding also for people oh, yeah, listening <laughs> yeah I love doing that because it does feel just like uh Well, reduce, reuse, recycle. And mm-hmm. so like I have a lot of notebooks full of lyrics and it's better to go through and pluck things. I also have a lot of songs that didn't end up making it. Mm-hmm. So I've kind of been like cutting those up and like taking little phrases that was like, oh, that's a good phrase. Mm-hmm. Um, it it should be used somewhere and then just repurposing it. Nice. It's, it makes it more like a puzzle, I think, than than songwriting approach of like having an idea and carrying it through Mm -hmm. it's like more like oh how do all these pieces fit together yeah it's like a different thought process at that point where you're able to kind of like use the things around you instead of like reinventing the wheel each time I imagine is it kind of like that as a visual artist too like if you're putting together a show or putting together a piece like that it's a little bit more like a puzzle Mm -hmm. and I, I, I think like I've also known like painters specifically who've actually like you know 20 years into their painting career gone back to like old canvases that they still have like in storage in their studio and like actually pull them out and like yeah exactly that reduce reuse recycle mentality of like I have this material like let me use it and I think you know in the visual art realm it's like actually physically materials yeah (laughs) um that you know, you feel an obligation that like should be used in some capacity. And then 
also being able to approach prior work as a kind of time capsule to what you were creative creatively influenced by at the time and um, creatively interested in then to kind of reapproach years later I think also kind of like turns something inward <laughs> that yeah. like you know you're able to recognize like oh I actually have really evolved as an artist and I'm more able to say what I wanted to say or achieve the like kind of like creative vision that I had that I didn't know that I was reaching for at the time um so like being able to bring those projects into fruition um I think you know I'm kind of half imagining and half like comparing to my own experience of like those moments being healing of like being able to be like oh I can actually like bring this into a full form now yeah yeah I think like art is um, I was having this conversation with a friend recently about like how you kind of like you write the songs that you need mm. and like, yeah, there are songs that I've written that don't get released because I needed them and I maybe didn't think that and everyone else needed them or mm. um, yeah, your relationship with your own work is just very bizarre and tangled and mm -hmm. twisted. Um, yeah. yeah. So I guess with that in mind, like there are some songs that are just for you. Like what made the songs in the set that you played with Joni like for that audience that night? Like what like what was the like selection process there? Yeah. So I've had some like instrumental pieces sitting around for a while, but they were kind of um, again, just like puzzle pieces. Mm -hmm. So the first sort of like um, the first half of the set was really like one actual like lyrical song and then just a bunch of musical ideas that all kind of fit together. And I was like, oh, well, this is the perfect opportunity to just mash them all together and see what happens. Mm -hmm. um, so that was really fun. And then the back half of the set, there was a song that I'd written that week that just felt like I wanted to play it. Um, there's just, uh, so there were three songs in like the, the second half of the set. So there was that song I'd written that week. There was one that's been around for a while. And then the last one we played, I've been working on for a very, very long time, probably like almost a year. And I just very quickly got it into a finished form because I, I don't mm -hmm. know I, I wanted to kind of have the sometimes putting a deadline on things is mm -hmm. helpful yeah um, for sure so it's like well you have to play something at the show tonight and you are going to play this song so mm -hmm. yeah sometimes the deadline is what like will bring it to the form it needs to be in in that moment and then like you can always go back and change it later but it at least gets it to that that point that that you need it to be in for that moment oh yeah and Part of the selection process too was also that um, Joni's a rocker, and so <laughs> trying mm -hmm. to put together songs that weren't just like songs that were just f meant for me on guitar or something like that, is songs that could translate. And I thought that Joni would maybe like to play. Mm -hmm. um, so I want to circle back to because um, I think we started to talk about it, and I get the like 
piecing the puzzles together, but writing a song start to finish as like a kind of prolific process that you've like latched onto um, for quite a while, it sounds kind of as we were talking about what we would talk about in this space. Uh, you mentioned kind of having creative space, like actually the physical space to be creative in. And I wonder if you could like at the top talk about like different creative spaces that you've had access to. And then like as you've kind of what it sounds like kind of settled into a creative space that is fulfilling to you, how that's transformed what you're able to write and make. Yeah, um, that's such a like, I feel like every artist is just like, if I could just have that like perfect space or, yeah. and there's not really a perfect space, but I do feel like where I'm at now, um, my spouse and I live out in Walkersville um, and have a basement and the second I stepped into that house and saw the basement, I was like, oh, this is it. Nice. Um, and so, yeah, it's sort of a rehearsal room more right, right now, but it's just been a great space to have to go. It, I've never had a space that feels like I could just walk in if I had an idea and pick up something and it immediately, mm. like immediately be able to work on it. Mm-hmm. And I am very, very grateful that I have that now. Um, I'm trying to think, uh, the last place we lived was a, was a row house. And at the time when we moved in, I was practicing in Baltimore usually. Mm-hmm. So like driving to Baltimore for, for practice. And you were living in Frederick. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 That's actually what I do. Cause my studio is in Baltimore wow. and, um, we live in Frederick. So I'm back and forth all the time. And you think like, I don't know when I tell people that there's this like, oh, why would you ever do that? Because like, it's such a long drive. But then at the same time, like space is really hard to come by in Frederick. Definitely. And if you live downtown, like there's all sorts of feelings about volume and noise. <laughs> totally. And also just space is really expensive downtown. And so actually in a lot of ways, it's like actually easier <laughs> to have a studio in Baltimore versus right. um, one in Frederick. But um yeah, that's uh, a challenge that I am so familiar with is that like almost like nomadic life of creativity of like having tools that you can use in one place versus tools that you can use that are right next to you. And then like constantly being in that like problem solving, like, oh, what can I do with the things that I have with me right now? <laughs> Definitely. Versus like having everything like all aligned in one space. Yeah, do you find that like, when you're commuting to your studio that the hour sort of like before and after are like really great reflection times Mm, yeah I think like sometimes I get like it like totally depends on like my energy level and like if I'm stretched thin if I'm like going because I just like need to complete a project or if I'm going to my studio because I have a free day which is like few and far between these days but like the times that I do have that and then like also just like kind of randomly like the that kind of reflective energy can like have an upwelling that like are the great commute days (laughs) totally um but I'd say like I want that to happen more than it does. (laughs) And these days I'm feeling the weight of like having to make that drive all the time. But um, 
yeah, I think driving specifically is interesting because it's like enough to keep your attention, but like not super verbal. And so like even sometimes like if I do have that kind of creative spark, I won't listen to music and I won't listen to a podcast because like it's actually a space where like you can let kind of quiet emerge which is like really tough (laughs) in the in the time that we live in currently that feels very loud and very dense yeah and the highway sound is sort of this like excellent rumble that Mm -hmm. is like just enough to sort of like fill the space but not to fill your mind Mm -hmm. i love that Mm. i love driving in silence (laughs) (laughs) are you like a long distance driver do you like driving is that um like a thing for you Yeah, I do love to drive. Um, I went on some tours and I was like behind the wheel for most of them Mm. because I, I just love, I love the physical like activity of driving Mm. Um, is really, it's like comforting in some weird way and terrifying. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's the, the wild part is like, yeah, these like big metal machines that just like fly down roads at high speeds. But, um, okay, cool. So you mentioned Good Time Geordie. Can you tell us a little bit more for folks who are not familiar with Good Time Geordie? Like what is that project? How did it come to be? Yeah. Um, my friend, uh, AB, AB from Kite Wave and Flooring. Um, I remember we had a conversation on his porch and he was just like, I'm starting this band. And I was like, cool. And he was like, it's called Good Time Jordy. And I was like, even more cool. Uh, so I, yeah, I joined playing guitar. Um, and it's very fun. I feel like it's very easy music as a player to just like play. Um, mm-hmm. It feels very intuitive. And it feels like I, a nice space to like bring something or try new things. Um our first show is uh, April 22nd at Old Mother. Nice. Nice. Yeah, I'm very excited. I'm excited to see that show. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about your sound? Yeah, I would say it's sort of like, it's indie rock. It's um, a little laid back. It feels floaty. Mm. Um, and so that's a, that's a like really nice place to be. Mm. Um you can just kind of drift with the songs. It's very cool. Nice. Um, how long have you been working on Good Time Jordy to kind of prepare for the April show? Um, so we, we started rehearsing, I think, last summer. Um, oh, wow. Yeah. And, um, but I think sort of with the, once we booked the show, I think we've been working on that for a couple months, just like getting something in a finalized more finalized place nice yeah i'm super excited to see that show i think also when i think about um like the ways that i have like beheld and experienced like your um creativity as a musician and also just like your presence here in frederick um i like just think about how i've seen you at like almost every show i've been to here and um that's something that i like really fundamentally 
respect because I think like especially post-COVID but even pre-COVID like the idea of like showing up for the people around you and the specifically like the artists around you and the people like that are doing the work trying to do a creative thing is so meaningful and I'm curious like if you have thoughts feelings reflections on like that idea of like showing up yeah I think um I think over the past couple years and uh, with the pandemic and everything, m- music and like specifically shows have become really, really like sacred to me almost. And mm-hmm. like, I, I really have not been taking them for granted. I've mm-hmm. like loved every show I've been at in the past year. Um, and also recognizing that like my creativity also doesn't happen without the work of a lot of other people. Mm-hmm. And um my bandmates um people running sound at shows spencer uh people (laughs) that come to shows and say like that was really great it all feeds back into itself and Mm -hmm. the bands you play with and everyone is putting in so much work to make an evening happen Mm -hmm. and it's really special to go it's really special to be a part of it Um, Mm -hmm. when you're like playing a show, but it's also really special to go and see like all the work and the time and the energy that people are putting forth into the world to make it a little bit better and brighter. Yeah, for sure. And like, I think sometimes even just like having access to that community or like not even access, just like a place within that can be sustaining even when sustaining a creative practice is really hard. (laughs) You know, like if you go through a period where like, your songwriting is just like not clicking the way that you want it to or like you're um you know stretched thin and you don't have the same kind of like bandwidth for like making that like you're used to because I think most people go through that kind of like ebb and flow in writing and making um yeah having the avenue to like still be inspired by the people that make your work possible (laughs) is just like really really meaningful yeah it's um it's such um, a treat to be here, like right now in Frederick too. There's just a lot of cool bands. There's a lot of like cool people who are really interested in like making a a really cool art community. I feel like, mm-hmm. um, yeah, yeah. It feels like there's a lot of um, momentum um, and like growth in the past like year. And I don't know if that's just like my kind of you know, limited perspective on this town (laughs) Um, because Frederick is my hometown, but um, I didn't live here for kind of like the like six, eight years before COVID. Um, So I think, you know, during a time in which there was like a lot going on, I wasn't here. And then I came back like kind of right when everything got shut down. Um, But it it does feel like it's like an interesting moment to be a part of what's happening here. Definitely. Well, um, we're, we're getting down to our last kind of 10 minutes. A question that I like to end with um, is kind of an open-ended one, so you can take it wherever you want to. <laughs> I'm curious um, what has been holding your attention lately or if you feel like your attention being drawn um, to something um, lately and you can take that kind of like creatively pop culture <laughs> like practically praxis every day um 
curious kind of like where you feel your attention going. I just got a bike. Mm-hmm. Um, and I haven't ridden a bike in a really, really long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and the second I, so my spouse and I, like we both got bikes and the second mm-hmm. that I got on the bike and like first felt that, that like rush of air, I was like, Oh, this is it. Yeah. Like I didn't know this was missing from my life. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was, and I'm really like grateful to have it back. Uh, nice. It, yeah. It feels Where very, have you been biking? Yeah, so our uh, house is, like, right behind it, there's um, a park. And so Mm. I've just been riding along the sidewalks in that park. Um, Our neighborhood's, like, small and sort of like a cul-de-sac, too, so it's easy to, like, Mm. do a quick spin, too. Nice. Um, Yeah, I would say biking's, like, my new thing right now. Nice. I actually, I went to an artist talk, like, a a couple of years ago. It was probably, like, five years ago now, um... Where the the artist, like, afterwards, he was, like, taking questions and people were asking him, like, what sustained his creative practice. And um, he said that it was, like, so important to, like, play every day, like, to have some kind of, like, um, aspect of play integrated into your day. And I, I swear I remember um, riding his bike was something that he was like, I know I can always fall back on this. And it takes me back to like my childhood in some way. And just like, kind of like brings up this like kind of spirit of adventure feels like too strong, uh, a phrase to describe it. But like, yeah, this kind of like, uh, it's slow enough that you're still in tune with your surroundings, like not like a car, but it's fast enough where you feel like more, capable definitely <laughs> and like the the world is your oyster in that moment um yeah so it's that's a um really wonderful and it's a great time of year to rediscover riding a bike because we're about to you know encounter the most pleasant <laughs> months of living in maryland <laughs> oh yeah i'm very excited it's cool to find things that like grab your attention completely like mm-hmm. and i think that's one of the the greatest things about music is that when you're playing it, you cannot do anything else. Mm -hmm. And I love that feeling and I chase it all the time. So that's why biking is like very cool. Mm -hmm. And um, one of the other artists that we interviewed on the podcast, Mitchell Noah, he's a glassblower. He talked about glassblowing as being this, like, because you're using like expensive, like gas to keep the, furnaces going and like you're like booking people's time to like collaborate in this process that like incorporates multiple people like everybody there has to be completely attentive to the process that's happening and he actually connected it to music in that way that like you know if you're showing up to play music together it's like you can like tap into that like kind of flow mentality of like we're here to do this thing timing and rhythm like matters so like we all have to have that like heightened level of presence um which I've never experienced being like a visual artist but it's um you know I I do relate to that feeling of flow and like that idea of like being able to like kind of like collectively experience that is just so cool yeah I love playing in bands for that reason just feeling like like once you start playing in that feeling in the room hitting of like everyone syncing up and everyone like on the same rhythm, probably our heartbeats all getting connected and like there's something magical and really human about that. Yeah. Um, I think especially like 
we talked about like our era being like really loud and really dense and like like attention being pulled in every direction or like specifically to screens and like that being kind of um I feel like the kind of like cultural zeitgeist that is like through like a lot of different spaces is like this like energy of distraction so I think like you know art making creativity has have a certain capacity to like cut through that that's like uh yeah very beautiful and meaningful I think so too it's kind of been like a a pleasure over the past couple months to know that you're going to play a 30 minute set and try to think about like how can I make this moving for the people that are going to be there or like make that time something that feels special and Mm -hmm. like that's that's sort of been like my new thing musically too is like how do I make whatever's whatever 30 minute slot I have how do I make it just like as good and as like connected as it can be Mm. I I know we're in our last 10 minutes but I do kind of want to ask a follow-up to that of like what are the levers that you pull like what are the like tools in your toolbox that you use to like achieve that vision um I think it sort of depends on the place and like mood sometimes it is play really quietly and see Mm -hmm. if that sort of like asks people to sort of like come in or Mm -hmm. like um other times it is playing really loud Mm -hmm. and asking Mm -hmm. people to like sort of like take it all in um Mm -hmm. and I think it's about finding that balance between um really it's about being open I -hmm. think and being open to sharing with the people that are there something that means a lot to you and allowing yourself to be open to like that room bringing something to you as well Mm -hmm. um and the people bringing you know um their energy to it too Mm -hmm. well I was at the show at old mother that you played with Joni to kind of circle back to that and I think like the energy in the room was totally there (laughs) so um I think yeah thank you so much for um talking with me today about that and like all other (laughs) creative practice things um i really really appreciate it and it was a lovely conversation yeah thank you very much for having me nicole for images and links to the artwork we discuss on the show follow us on instagram at this is not my magnum opus Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or follow us on Spotify. You can also leave us a rating or add a review. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Music for this podcast was written and performed by Frederick's resident shoegaze band, TV. That's T-E-E-V-E-E, period. This Is Not My Magnum Opus is proud to be part of the Could Be Better podcast network. Executive produced by Chris Perry and Colin McGuire of Could Be Better. This show is made possible by a Maryland State Arts Council creativity grant. Thanks for listening. We hope you'll join us again next week. Do you like change? Do you love the familiar smells of your bedroom studio? Listen no further, friends, because the Could Be Better podcast is back and as disappointing as ever. Indeed, Chris, this season we are changing almost absolutely nothing. The show will drop on Thursdays and we hope to include guests. 
We'll also shamelessly plug any and all events of which we are part. So like and follow wherever you listen to podcasts or check out our website, www.couldbebettermeh.com or let's pretend this never happened. I know I will. Me too. And do not forget this could be better.